please turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. I almost said Romans just out of habit. Uh, we, we finished up our Romans series after some months in that book last week and this week and next. We're going to be taking a look at what it means to serve as a core value of this church. Uh, that's really been my experience even growing up here in this church. Uh, my family has been a part of Metro Life Church for I think 32 of our 36 years. And um, I remember Sunday mornings oft times when we were kind of a church out of the box. Like we were church planners before it was cool. And, and we were a church out of a box. And so my dad and I would be in uh, at like seven o'clock in the morning at uh, Seventh-day Adventist building downtown. Let me just make a quick adjustment. Y'all seem so far away. Um, serving and putting things in place for children's ministry to happen. And it's how I got to know the sound team. And it's how I got to be a part of the worship team and different things like that. And so serving has always been a core value of who we are as a church. And, and I, I think about that idea of, of a core value. And, and I just want to kind of play this out for us. Like, I think that there are times that it's easy for us to kind of put a lot of things into the foundation of what we build our life on in our faith. And this is actually something, serving is actually something that's kind of the underpinning of that, the underpinning of our faith. And so let's just have that in mind as we're, as we're thinking about this. I'll explain what the underpinning of a foundation is a little bit more in just a moment. But let's go to God's word together. For you were called to freedom. Galatians 5.13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Lord, we ask today that your Holy Spirit would help to bring life to this aspect of your word in our lives. Lord, as we look at foundational truths, as we think about core values for our church, those are wonderful and weighty things to do, but Lord, we ask that they become this, that they become the springboard for mission that we're called to. In every relationship that we're in, wherever we go, whatever we are doing, that this is what is holding us up in Jesus Christ. This is what your spirit is reminding us to use the talents and abilities and those gifts that he gives so freely. Lord, this matters for everyday life as a Christian. And so we recognize that we need you to empower that in us. So we ask for that strength today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, for many of us, we don't necessarily think about foundations a lot. Uh, actually, in my, my children's school, the man that, that owns the company that poured this foundation for this facility that we're sitting in right now, he's a, he's a part of their school. And so I think it was 22 years ago when the foundation was poured for our facility. And I remember when I, I met him and kind of made the connection, oh, we know you. I said, well, thanks for your work. It's still there. You know, like, I don't know how you congratulate somebody about being good at pouring foundations. That felt like the best I could come up with at the time. But we live in Florida, and so we, we think about foundations most often as that flat piece that we see on the top of something. 
But because we live in Florida and we have this glorious wonder called sugar sand, we need something underneath that. So most of us don't think about the underpinning of a foundation in terms of like there's something else under there kind of girding it up, holding it in place so that, that whatever comes along doesn't kind of wash it or push it to or fro. But we experience the underpinning in that droning sound that we drive by when we drive by road construction or when we drive by new construction. You know what I'm talking about? The sound of just that, that kind of hammer driving something in and you just wonder, how long, Lord? <laughs> you ever had that experience where it's like near an office that you're working in or it's near your home and you realize like, this might take a while. That's the underpinning of something. That's the underpinning of a, of a foundation. It's, it's something that's at the very core and it drives down very deep into life. And it holds up a foundation that something can be built on. And that's what Paul is after in the church in Galatia at this time. He wants to just not say that there's a secure foundation like something that's a facade. He wants it to be something at the very core of who they are. And so here at Metro Life Church, this is what we would consider a core value. That is loving service. Loving service. So we experience this when we when we know that droning sound, and my goal today is not to add just another droning sound of things that we have been reviewing. But I think it's important for us to realize this needs to be driven down deep into our heart, into our very soul where it touches something in us that becomes such a value and such a purpose that no matter what season of life that we're walking through, no matter what circumstances we're facing, it cannot be shaken. It's something that reminds us what our mission is. It's actually something that is a part of our Christian witness, as we'll see in just a moment. It's essential for us to get this right. It's essential for us to get this right. Serving has long been a core value for Metro Life Church. It, it is the underpinning of our mission to love, grow, and share. But I want us to be sure that we understand that it's foundation for our, foundational is our calling for, as individuals. It's a part of our purpose in gathering. It's our mission as a church. This week, we're going to be looking at God's word and how it instructs us not to look back. Not to look back. That's what we're going to see in just a moment. Not to look back and see who we were or even to try to go back to that but actually to go forward in serving one another. And next week, we're going to be in 1 Peter, and we're going to be looking at how we live today is actually informed by our understanding of eternity. So we're going to, to, we're going to see how it is that God calls us to live today by one, not going back, and looking forward to the eternity that we have with him next Sunday. And I want to make sure that we have a little bit of context for the passage that we're dropping into here. Uh, as many of you know, I do enjoy just personally the uh, the Gospel Transformation Bible, it's one of the translations of the ESV. And it very simply says this, just a couple of lines to help us understand where we're at in the book of Galatians. Galatians is a declaration of freedom from the condemnation of sin and from a performance mindset. Looking to Christ, the culmination of all the promises of the Old Testament, sinners can be freely counted righteous in him. And we know from our Roman series that so much of what we were covering, this justification that we can experience. But the last line here, perhaps nowhere in the Bible is this clearer 
than in Paul's letter to Galatians. So we're gonna review a bit of a, a familiar theme in terms of justification. That is this legal declaration of who we are, that we have been made acceptable to God the Father through Jesus Christ by faith, through fa- by grace through faith in him. Galatians 3.11 points us to this where it says, clearly no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. So we see justification, this legal declaration of who we are. But there's something very relational to the book of Galatians as well. We actually see the truth of adoption as sons and daughters of God. Those who have been called out of darkness into light, into the family of God. This very relational calling and drawing near to who God is. So there's not just this legal declaration. There is this relational restoration that happens in the book of Galatians as well. We have to understand that these, we, we need to understand these rightly so that our service isn't from the idea that we are gaining salvation in this. There's no way to gain that. That would actually be contrary to the message of Galatians. It would actually be contrary to the idea of justification. That there's anything that we can do that adds to it. I heard Alistair Begg this last week said that anytime that we feel like we need to supplement Jesus' work, we actually supplant Jesus' work. I thought that was a wonderful way to put it once I understood what supplant meant. Anytime we feel like we have to supplement what God has done, we erase the power of Jesus' work on the cross. Anytime we try to add our works to it for salvation, for a right relationship with God, we realize we cannot earn that. And Galatians 4, 4 through 5 tell us this as it relates to God making his people, his children in adoption. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law so that we might receive adoption as children. Jesus is sent on a mission and we receive relational restoration. That's good news. That's good news for us as his people. So anything that we're doing in terms of Christian liberty that we understand, there's kind of this setup that's happening in Galatians chapter five. And this is why I said I want us to be careful not to just kind of tune out because in Romans we were talking a lot about justification and we were talking about Christian liberties and those types of things. But I don't want us to tune that out because we need to understand this to see what it is that the key question that Paul is trying to answer in the life of a believer So at the beginning of Galatians chapter five, for further context, it says this, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. It's a very similar theme to the end of Romans where it says that we will be established in Jesus Christ. Ella, I'm sorry, I'm not gonna share my password with you right now. Give me just a moment here. So here's the key question that Paul is trying to get to. He wants to bring our attention to a key question and it's something that we need to wrestle with today as a church. How does justification by faith alone, our adoption into God's family, how does that translate into action in the Christian life? Much of the book of Galatians is kind of built on this and it, and it leads the church through to how they are to now live. And so it's instructional for us today. And in our passage today, Paul begins by telling those who are saved, don't go back to what you've been saved from. 
He starts there. He starts almost with a negative comment like, okay, if you want to know how to live, let me just start with this. Don't go back to what you've been saved from. Don't go back. Let's begin by making sure that we understand what we've been called from. Some translations here are going to use the word flesh. Others that you may have may use the phrase sinful nature. This flesh or sinful nature, it's, it's talking about our fallen selves, the nature that we have from Adam, that godless, opposed to God, opposed to godliness. It is the old self wanting to do its own will, satisfy its sinful appetites. Those sinful appetites are actually defined for us later in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 24. But that's what's behind us for those who believe in Jesus Christ. That's what we've been called out of. It's not who we are. We have a new identity. We have a new nature. And Paul's burden is that we don't go back to the old ways. Don't go back to the flesh. Don't go back to that sinful nature. We're called to freedom, so use it well. In other words, we've not been saved from a life of selfishness where we're just going our own way, where we're relying on our own efforts, where we're attempting to choose our own path, submitting to our own quote-unquote truth. We're not called out of that life of selfishness for some new Christian liberties, freedom, distortion of being selfish. Don't go back. We've been saved to be selfless. Once again to Alistair Begg, Christian freedom is clearly not the right of Christians to return from that which Christ paid with his own life to save them. So if we're not going back, what should we do? At the end of verse 13, it says this, go give yourself away. Don't go back, go give yourself away. Through love, this agape love that is both demonstrated by and is received from Christ that we can now serve in giving ourselves away. And that service, it's it's actually a present imperative for us. It's always true for us to be serving. It's not like something that we do when we're gathered here or when we're at our kitchen table with our family or when we're in our workplace. It's something that we are always called to because it's a mark of those who are in Jesus Christ. We are serving, we are giving ourselves away. We're not relying on our strength. Love and service are both supernatural. They are a way that we display a God-like love to one another. A supernatural love. A Christ-like service. But it's, it's something that can only be produced as a fruit of the Holy Spirit at work in our hearts. Tim Keller in Galatians for you says this, the gospel does free you to live any way that you want. But if you truly understand through the gospel who Jesus is and what he's done for you, then you will ask, how can I live for him? When you understand what you've been saved from, that's the question we'll ask. How can I live for him? So we can't gain acceptance by keeping the law. We do find acceptance through Jesus Christ. So what do we do with that acceptance? Our keeping of the law will be an expression of the love in our hearts for the lawmaker for the one who is the lawgiver. In other words, the law sends us to Christ for salvation and Christ returns us to the law. Not that by keeping it we are accepted by God, but that it becomes the framework for which we live our lives. It's the Christian's relationship with the law. It's what we are constantly wrestling with in our hearts, isn't it? In scripture, we, we learn about Pharisees. They're the ones who added to the law. 
They get caught up in the ways that they can add new forms of legalism for their own sense of piety and, and kind of leveling up in comparison with others. In the church today, we might call them hypocrites. Their attempt is to use the law as a weapon by either creating hurdles or, as we're going to see in just a moment, tearing others down. Making it seem like they're the ones that have got the right way to live. And if you're not doing it, you're not right with God. See, they know the hundreds of laws given in Scripture, but that really pales in comparison with the thousands that they're living in the good of. These hypocrites, they've created for themselves their these thousands of rules and they can't wait to tell you what they are so you can get on their level. May they not feel welcome here. May we be a church that builds only on Jesus' one finished work as the fulfillment of the law. If we're being honest, these temptations, they reside in all of our hearts, don't they? And not one or the other, kind of both. We've got the ones who want more law, the more rigid form, the more rules. Legalism is like Linus's blanket to them. It comforts because you feel in control. Then there are the others that want to cast off all constraint because that's what freedom really means. It's spiritual anarchy. There's no mark of a true believer. There's no cost or burden of mind. Just live your life because Jesus paid it all. In reality, I think we can admit we're prone to both. We're kind of legalistic anarchists. In our own ways. You know what levels the playing field against legalistic anarchists and these temptations in our hearts? What helps calm our hearts and minds when we're tempted in one way or the other? Loving service of one another. Perhaps our propensity to be legalistic anarchists speaks to why we see such polarization today. In the church, in our relationships, in politics, families, friendships, the world around us. Here's my prayer. May God empower us and may God empower our witness as loving servants, not legalistic anarchists. See, we've been set free from the law of sin and death. But we've been set free for the law of love fulfilled through Jesus Christ. From sin and death for love through Jesus Christ. That's been extended toward us, and so what can we do? We can extend that toward others. I was reading earlier this week on Martin Luther and his commentary on Galatians, and he says this, Paul knows how to explain the law of God He condenses all of the laws of Moses into one brief sentence. Reason takes offense at the brevity with which Paul treats the law. Therefore, reason looks down upon the doctrine of faith and its truly good works. To serve one another in love. For example, to instruct the erring, to comfort the afflicted, to raise the fallen, Luther goes on to say, to help one's neighbor in every possible way, to bear with his infirmities, to endure hardships, to toil, to deal with ingratitude in the church and in the world, and on the other hand, to obey those in authority, to honor one's parents, to be patient at home. These things are not at all regarded as good works, and hear how he ends this quote. The fact is they are such excellent works that the world cannot possibly estimate them at their true value. See, verse 15 
of Galatians chapter 5, it paints a gruesome picture of what the lack of love looks like. Let's read that together. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. It's violent. Even WrestleMania doesn't go there. It's violent. It's vile. It's painting a picture for a reason. It's, abs- it's kind of illustrating absurdity with the absurd. But what is it revealing? What's going on in our heart or in our mind? Biting and devouring. Romans says putting up hurdles and stumbling blocks for one another. This brings us to our point. One way that we build one another up in the church is through loving service. Are you starting to hear the tool that this becomes in the life of the believer? Starts to level the playing field when we're tempted to be legal anarchists. It's a tool to build one another up, which is is a command that we're given in in Scripture. What is the foundation? What is the underpinning of that foundation of our faith? It is loving service. Why? Because we have received that type of loving service through Christ's example. Maybe I could illustrate it this way in the church and, and maybe a little bit more specifically to Metro Life Church. If we were to take the subject of attendance on a Sunday morning. See, we're free to be here or not to be here. That's true. And it's not just a religious freedom we enjoy in America. It is a freedom that we enjoy because of our salvation. It's not based on the works of attendance. If you're attempting to get in heaven by being here on Sunday mornings, I hope that you've heard in one of those Sunday mornings, that ain't gonna cut it. See, we're free to be here or not to be here. We don't have to be at every ministry meeting or every community group. That's true because our salvation is not a works-based salvation. But biblically, there is something more for us. And this isn't supplementing. This isn't adding to the gospel. This isn't saying, yes, but like Christianity 201, you're going to realize works matter. No. It's for us. I can't tell you the number of times that I've heard this phrase this week. Don't deny me that blessing. You know what it's related to? It's related to being gathered together or or giving in some sort of sacrificial way. Or it's it's related to being a part of one another's uh, lives in, in love. Don't deny me that blessing. And you realize as individuals, we are blessed when we are giving ourselves away. It's a part of how we've been created. It's how our creator models this for us in the cross. It's how his Holy Spirit empowers us for this mission through talents and abilities and gifts. What are all those things? They are free gifts given away. We have to give ourselves away as well. And what do we receive? Blessing. We don't deserve that. But see, we're not free to just show up and not miss something at the core of God's good design for his gathered church as it relates to attendance. When we show up, we receive from the good of the gathered church, but when we're not here, we're missing out on something. I'm not here to try to create some kind of spiritual FOMO. I'm here to try to point us to God's word and help us understand why gathering matters. 
Why being at table in hospitality matters. Why being in ministry contexts and community groups matter. We want to be able to use the gifts that God has given us to build others up. And what do we receive as a result? Blessing. I'm talking about being there for our brothers and sisters who may have in the days past been walking through the way to the world and being together reminds them as well as reminds us not to go back to the world that we've been called out of in its so-called freedoms. No turning back. It reminds us to endure. It reminds us to look to Christ. We get to build one another up by catching each other doing right, by praying together, by using the gifts. This is what we heard in Angie's testimony just a moment ago, isn't it? Praying together, catching each other doing right, using the gifts, the talents and abilities that God has given to each one of us. And at the core of all of those gifts, talents, and abilities are using them to serve one another. That's how we move from Christian freedoms to the active Christian life. And what about those relationships you're going to experience when you are gathered together? They can get messy. There's differences, aren't there? There can be disagreements. We don't all have the same gifts, talents, or abilities. We, wouldn't it just be easier to remain with the small circles of people who agree with us? No. Okay, honestly, it might be easier, but it doesn't lead to spiritual maturity. <laughs> and I don't think that's our heart. I think we want to grow in maturity. I think we want to experience the fullness of what God has called us to in the church, and I know that to be your heart. This is where we need to remember that that service isn't just sacrificial, sucking it up to tolerate each other. It's loving service. It's seeking the benefit of others. It's building up and not tearing down. It's slowing down enough in our relationships to come to an understanding, running the race that we are called to together. Can I call out a lost art? Stephanie and I were talking about this yesterday. I think we've lost the art of sitting together. Just sitting together. When somebody's going through something, when, when somebody's celebrating something, just sitting down together. Taking it in. And I don't think that's just like the, the southern boy in me. I think that's a lost art in the church. We're so busy trying to accomplish so many different things that we've forgotten how to just sit together. What happens when we sit together? You physically show someone I'm here for you. I understand the temptation. It's like, well, if I'm not sitting with them and, and I don't bring a casserole, I'm not really doing anything for them. I bet you're wrong. Just sitting together and being together can be an encouragement to one another. Just saying, I can't do anything for you, but I'm right here. Can, can we recapture that? in the church just being together and slowing down long enough to be remember we've been called to this together I think God's going to do amazing things but think about this those two examples I just mentioned through attendance and relationships and there's actually many others that can be born out of 
this one and a half to two hours that we're gathered together. And if that can be born out of this hour and a half to two hours together, imagine how much more loving service has a very practical implication in the 168 hours that we live each week. See, this matters for the Christian life. Just pause for a moment and, and think about how practical loving service is in the life of the individual. And then kind of like notch it up a little bit. How practical that is in the, the gathering of the church. And then notch that up a little bit together as well in what we are called to in the mission that we are called to together. See, it, it starts to sort us out, doesn't it? The things where our minds get racing on this subject or that and it's, it's putting a priority on this, that, or the other thing at the expense of the relationships that we're called to, at the expense of the witness that we're called to, it begins to sort us out. It begins to calm a mind that races in the wrong direction. It begins to, to take the weight off of a heart that is being driven by the wrong thing. It starts to sort us out. The things that we're most passionate about, where our thoughts, experiences, or perspectives lead. Loving service also acts as the plow that cultivates cultivates a lifestyle of grace-filled living. It builds the healthy community that we want to experience together. And thankfully, we have, an, we have an example that we can look to. You may wonder, who can we look to to see this? Well, outside of ourselves, outside of others, outside of our circumstances, when we lift our eyes from our chaotic schedules, when we lift our eyes from our fallen hearts and regular rhythms of glory and garbage of any given week, we have an example in Jesus Christ. And he reminds us that sin no longer reigns, but it remains, and his cross is powerful for that as well. I want us to understand this today, that looking to Christ as our example is actually an immensely practical thing to do in order to inform our actions in the Christian life. Look back at verse 14. What does it say there? For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Maybe a better translation there would be one phrase. Let's not get caught up on that. It's fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Here in Galatians 5, Paul is quoting Jesus from Matthew chapter 22. But two chapters back in Matthew chapter 20, Jesus had a response to his disciples as they're kind of jockeying for position in the kingdom of God. He reveals something about the reason that he had come to earth. He had a single purpose. He had a single mission. Matthew 20 verses 25 through 28 tell us this. But Jesus called them and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would want to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many you may notice something here jesus subtly quantifies how it is that he measures greatness in verses 25 and 26 he's contrasting the kingdom of god with the kingdoms of the world and in god's kingdom greatness is quantified by service not ruling See, Jesus, both transcendent in his glory and yet imminent in his nearness to us, Jesus is our example in selflessly serving. 
laying down his life, even to the point of death, making things right in our relationship with God the Father. So may we now, as we receive this free gift of grace and salvation, empowered by the Holy Spirit, may we selflessly pursue lovingly serving one another. Today and every day as we live by Christ's example. Let me go back to something that we opened with as well. It relates to our justification and our adoption, those two things coming together, not being these like weird growths in our doctrine that you're not sure what they do together. They actually work together. One's a legal declaration. One is relational restoration, and they work together in our hearts and our minds, securing us. We're made righteous before God the Father by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Romans 3.22 reminds us of that. And it is Christ whose blood seals our adoption papers that welcome us into the family of God. The book of Galatians vibrantly informs us of the Holy Spirit's work in the life of a believer. Galatians 4, 6 tells us that he testifies in our hearts that we are God's children. Galatians 5, 18 and 25 tell us that the Holy Spirit is leading us. Galatians 5, 22 through 23 tell us that he is empowering us to be fruitful. And this is where our call to be followers of Jesus, ambassadors for an eternal kingdom, ministers of reconciliation has so many very real contexts for application of service through love. Relationships, families, campuses, workplaces, everywhere we are is a mission field and an opportunity to live selflessly. Perhaps you're here today and you fall into that trap of serving others as a way of gaining acceptance. And that mindset has spilled over into your relationship with God the Father. You're placing your hopes in doing enough good Doing enough good for others that you earn your way into heaven. Can I just tell you this? There is no mount of good works large enough to reach heaven's glories. There's only one finished work that we must rely on. And that's Jesus Christ alone. See, Christ's one act on the cross supersedes any mounds of works that we try to accumulate. So if you're here today and that's you, don't place your hope in those Place your hope for righteousness in relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ alone. For those who are here and have placed their hopes in Christ's work alone, those who are here that are Christians, they are followers of Christ, can we just realize this? The finished work of Christ is the starting point for us to live out of the abundance of giving ourselves away selflessly. Lovingly serving one another to the glory of God alone. As the worship team joins, I, I haven't been able to shake it, so I'm just gonna share it. In Exodus 20, I, I made the comment earlier that there is a mark, that loving service is a mark of a Christian. And I think Exodus, excuse me, it's Exodus 21, you don't need to go there, but Scripture uses this slavery term in a way that kind of causes us in America to recoil today, and I think rightly so, but can we just work through that so that we don't see Scripture as a dated document that doesn't have application to our lives? We're not talking about racial slavery and oppression. 
Some people, some individuals or some families, if they got themselves into a place of debt that was so much that they could not bear it out through their work, would actually submit themselves in slavery to to repay a debt. And there's this part of Exodus 20, and it's this this interesting part of Scripture that that I think a lot of times we don't necessarily want to touch, and I'm only going to briefly hit it. But it talks about laws related to slaves. And it says this, Hebrews, or excuse me, Exodus 21, starting in verse 1. Now, these are the rules that you shall set before them. When you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve six years. And in the seventh, he shall go out free for nothing. This is what is the biblical concept in the Old Testament of the year of Jubilee. Down to verse 5. But if the slave plainly says, I love my master, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him to God. He shall bring him to the door or the doorpost and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl. And he shall be his slave forever. I think this paints a picture for us of what it looks like to live in Christian freedom versus Christian liberties. Where it's this license to just live however it is that we want to. If we love our master Jesus Christ enough, we want to be marked by him. This is not an endorsement of alls and door posts. So I don't want to be getting like bills for infection from rusty alls. (laughs) But I want a church that's marked What does marked mean? It means you look different. It means you live different. It means that your life is marked, not just by love that makes it just seem like love is love. And and how do you find it? I don't know. It's just love, man. That's not freedom. That's a different type of enslavement. And the weight of it will drag you to hell. there's a freedom in Christ that we can be marked by when we lovingly submit ourselves to our master and say I love my master and I want everybody to know it for the rest of my life I was indebted to him but he paid everything and so now I'm willingly submitting myself to him that I may be marked as different not for the glory of my name but for the glory of his Jesus we pray today May we so experience your love and live in the good of your love that we are marked as different as we live for him, for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, can we stand and sing together?